Please pray with me. Father God, we ask that the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who inspired your scriptures would now apply it unto our hearing and would continue to change us. Amen. The unwanted answer. Every one of us has received it at one time or another. Perhaps it was when you were confused and you were seeking clarity and you got an answer, but it wasn't the answer that you wanted. (laughs) Or maybe it was when you had a strong desire for something. And in your pursuit of that desire, you asked the Lord that he would provide it for you, but he gave you a different answer. You don't get everything you want in life, and there are plenty of unwanted answers The answers that we don't want to hear. The answers that we didn't think were even possible. The answers that we certainly do not want to embrace. Today we're starting a new series called Unwanted Answers. And we see this series grounding us in the book of Habakkuk. Throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through prophets. He raised up prophets to speak to them At times they would rebuke the people for their sin. At times they would remind the people of God's faithfulness. And at times they would even foretell of the things that were to come. The prophet as a mouthpiece to God with authority in which he would say, Thus saith the Lord, was one of the defining ways that God revealed his character and his works and his guidance to people throughout hundreds of years. One such prophet was named Habakkuk. But he was a little bit different than some of the other prophets. Where the vast majority of prophets in the Bible are displayed as speaking for God to the people. Habakkuk is a prophet that speaks to God on behalf of the situation that is surrounding him. And in speaking to God, we see a dialogue recorded between the prophet and the Lord in this book. And as you turn your attention there to Habakkuk chapter 1, you can find it on page 785 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Let me set the stage. Because this context of what is happening here helps inform what you're reading. The times were very difficult for those who were seeking to pursue faithfulness to God. All around them, people seemed to be going their own way. It started with the king of Judah. You see, the nation of Israel has, at this point in history, been divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And the king of Judah during this time, or leading up to this time, was a king named Manasseh. And he was the worst king in the history of the kingdom, wicked in his ways and in his desires. He introduced to the people idol worship, but not just a typical run-of-the-mill idol worship, a type of paganism that involved sacred prostitution and even human sacrifice. And the people followed him. They followed him in his wicked ways. And one after one, the country would be redefined by its wickedness. And as a result, 
God was silent to the people during that season. And there were no prophecies given for half a century. After a short reign of his son Ammon, the boy king Josiah ascended to the throne at the age of eight. And over the next number of years, Josiah would cast out the wickedness of the nation and seek to follow the Lord faithfully. He'd purge Judah of these terrible practices and encourage the people to follow the Lord and the Lord alone. The book of the law that had been stashed away somewhere in the back closet that had been forgotten for decades was found again. And the king Josiah would seek to follow it. And as a result, the kingdom flourished. God spoke to his people again and the people enjoyed favor. But then came another turn for the worse. Because one of Josiah's sons, Jehoiakim, became the king. And he demanded luxuries that his pious father didn't pursue. But he couldn't afford this luxurious lifestyle or the luxuries of the kingdom that he wanted, and so he pressed some of his own people into slavery without pay so that he'd have the labor to enjoy his lifestyle. Alongside of that, he readopted some of the wicked practices of his forefather, Manasseh, the horrible idol worship and the practices that he employed. And as a result, across the land of Judah, there was an ever-increasing cloud of moral darkness. And it's here that God raises up the prophet Habakkuk. And the prophet levels his complaint against God. Look with me at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And we see there the Lord responds to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. 
then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. In chapter 1, we see the prophet talking with God, and he is issuing his complaint. And the complaint might be categorized this way. He is questioning that God is a God of justice. Listen to the way that he levels these accusations. He's looking at his situation around him. He's looking at his own people, the people of Judah and the way that they're acting. And he says that God, verses 2 and 3, doesn't hear. He will not save He makes him see iniquity. He makes him see things that he doesn't want to see. And he idly looks at wrong. As if God stands there, sees the wrong, and does nothing. Habakkuk is looking at the situation that he's in. And he's dismayed. He sees how his own Israelite brothers in the kingdom of Judah are rebelling against God. And he sees no possible way that God could allow this to continue. And yet he does. And he's angry. And he's accusatory. And so he's had enough. And he says to God that you are not acting justly. And you can see why. I mean, who among us hasn't cried like Habakkuk has cried in verse 1? How long, O Lord, until you make things right? How long do we have to endure these things? We've seen violence. We've been taken aback by how a good God can allow terrible things to happen. We've cried those things. We've seen those things. We've felt those feelings. And the specifics displayed here about this context are displayed in pairs. He says that this people of Judah are violence and iniquity destruction and violence. They can be characterized by strife and contention. The effect of sin and rebellion against God has resulted in God's own people destroying each other. Morally and even physically. Not only is Habakkuk questioning God's passivity in this situation, but he also questions his law. Look at verse 4. He says that the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked are surround, surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. Questioning God's justice in some way is a cry for God's justice. But questioning God's law, well, well that's something even different. We remember the famous passage in Amos chapter 5 when God himself tells his people that justice will reign and justice will rule. He says in Amos 5.14, God speaking through the prophet to the people, seek good people and don't do evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts will be with you as you've said. And then he says in verse 24, let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. 
So you see again and again through the story of Israel and even in Amos chapter 5 that God knows what justice is, that God values what is right and what is wrong, that God even applies justice to his people. Let justice roll down like waters, the famous sermon by Martin Luther King expresses. This is a God who values justice. And yet there is no such call here through the prophet for the people. And so the prophet questions the law. Questions God's law. It's a far cry from the way that kings before him have seen the law. King David himself in Psalm 19 displays the exact opposite of questioning as he holds up God's law as completely perfect. <laughs> he says in Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. But Habakkuk is looking at his situation and he is saying, this is so bad that the law is paralyzed. (laughs) The perfect law of God. The law that's been given to Moses. The law that was designed to show people glimpses of God's perfection and holy character. The law that was given to guide people in life and in pleasing God and to show their need for a savior. And Habakkuk essentially says, God, your plan is broken. Look around. The plan is broken. And you say to yourself, that's some pretty severe words to say to God. But when you stop to think about it, many of us have said those words to God in one way or another. Or maybe even much, much worse. And like Habakkuk, maybe our complaints are legitimate. There's a lot of tension in this life and we talk about it all the time. That life is hard, that there's situations around us that don't make sense. And we see and we ask questions like, well, why do the wicked prosper? Or why does God allow suffering? Or why is there such injustice in our country or in the world? When you get a little closer to home, you ask questions like, why do my kids struggle to make it academically or socially? Why do my coworkers pass me up on their career path when they are terrible people? Why did my spouse leave me? And now she seems very happy while I'm miserable. When we experience things in this life that don't line up with what we know to be true about God, Sometimes we question God's justice. Why are you allowing this? And when will you make it right? (laughs) It might feel to us like God isn't there or that following God doesn't work anymore. 
to get us to our desired results. And in the end, maybe it's just better if we simply do what we want to do and say what we want to say. It doesn't really matter that anymore if the results aren't here right before me. And some of you are here today, and, and you might be in that very spot. Your faith might be holding on by a thread. <laughs> you might be in that spot of despair and thinking about giving up on your relationship with God. You're thinking to yourself, this isn't working out so well for me at the moment. Maybe I shouldn't continue. I'm angry. I'm confused. I don't like my situation. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. (laughs) But I want to encourage you to hang in there. Because what you see from Habakkuk, chapter 1 through 3, is that those feelings that you have in the moment, as valid as the feelings might be, they simply do not reflect the reality of the situation. God is near. (laughs) He does see you and your situation. And he is working out his plan in his perfect timing. We begin to see that even through an unwanted answer in his response. And so look with me at verses 5 and on. God answers back to the prophet who complains. He does this in verses 5 through 11. Let's just read verses 5 through 8 and see how God gives him an answer, but it's not the answer that he wants. God says, look among the nations and see. Let's pause there for a minute. It's interesting that through the course of the book, this is a prophecy that the prophet sees. (laughs) That verse 1, this is an oracle that the prophet saw. Habakkuk is complaining in verse 3 about what he sees by way of iniquity. And now God says to him, look among the nation and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar and they fly like an eagle swift to devour. So in response to Habakkuk's complaint, God gives him two things. Number one, he tells him in verse 5 that the plan is not yet completely revealed to you. I'm revealing it right now and you're going to be amazed. (laughs) You wouldn't believe it even if I told you in advance. I'm going to show it to you. And number two, that the nature of this plan includes raising up another nation with a stronger army and judging the wickedness of the people of Judah for their sins. But here's the rub. (laughs) The army that I'm going to do this with is the army of your worst enemies, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. God's going to use your enemy to judge you. Now, if, if... if Habakkuk was able to express, I wonder how you would express, how, how, how do you want God to sort out this situation? Could you say specifically, the wickedness among the land needs to go away? God, how are you going to do that? Habakkuk, how are you going to do that? 
We don't know. We don't know what he's even asking for. Maybe he doesn't even know what he's asking for. But God gives him an answer. (laughs) I'm going to use the people that you hate the most to judge you. It wasn't the answer he was looking for. It was the unwanted answer. God would display his justice through a tool that was less than worthy. And the description is grim. You've heard it now a couple times, right? These Chaldeans, they're bitter and hasty. They seize dwellings not their own. Horses swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves are dreaded and fearsome. They laugh at fortresses and pile up earth and take it. And boom, then they're gone. This is a picture of an army that is sweeping across the region and devouring absolutely everything in its sight. And the prophet Habakkuk sees the fall of Jerusalem right before him. God's chosen people and God's chosen city. And the pagans will lay siege to it. And they will show no mercy. But God ordained it to happen. What does that say about God? (laughs) Well, it says in God's response, it becomes abundantly clear that he sees the problem even more deeply than the prophet sees it. And were the prophet to have a detailed plan of response, we have no idea, but most likely not. (laughs) He's probably just like most of us that says, God, I don't like the situation I'm in. Get me out of it. Change it. I don't know how that's going to (laughs) happen. But this shows that God has already thought through and began to employ the very response as appropriate for the situation even before the prophet knew it existed. But it's not the response he hoped for. In fact, God's response was overwhelming in its nature. I wonder if you believe that God sees your situation even more clearly than you do. In this sense, we're often tempted to play God ourselves, aren't we? I'm pretty perceptive, I'm a thinking person, I see clearly. I feel deeply, but I wonder if you trust that God sees your situation even more clearly than you do and that his actions will be even more decisive than you could articulate. (laughs) It's hard to feel that way in the moment. When things are going really terribly for us, we're tempted to judge the actions of the judge. (laughs) Imagine with me for a minute that you turn on the TV one evening and you tune into a courtroom trial in your living room. (laughs) And in your living room, you can only see what the camera shows you. You don't hear all the testimony. You don't get to question the witnesses yourself. You don't see all the evidence. You don't hear the instructions given to the jury. And you're not privy to the conversations between the attorneys and the judge. And when the jury comes back and renders its verdict and its sentencing and it hands that piece of paper to the judge, how can you adequately assess whether justice has been done? We wouldn't be able to know what justice requires. (laughs) 
and whether or not justice was upheld, if we are watching from a distance or only have a couple pieces of the puzzle or lack all the pertinent information, would we? How then can we sit in judgment of God's justice? We don't have all the information necessary to judge whether or not God has been just in particular situations. Habakkuk chapter 1 shows us a very basic and simple truth about worshiping an eternal and divine deity. (laughs) And it's this. The God who sees perfectly and knows perfectly enacts justice that is perfectly timed. (laughs) The God who sees perfectly and knows perfectly, he has all the information, he enacts justice that is perfectly timed. Timed. He displays that throughout history. God displays throughout history that he's not slow to enact justice, but that in fact he's swift, knowing exactly when the rebellion of people is full to the brim and judgment is necessary. At the same time, God exercises tremendous patience with those who have sinned that they might be forgiven. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad he's, that he does. I'm so glad that God exercises that level of patience. Because the more that we know him, the more that we understand what holiness is, the more that we see how his justice is applied. If God were to turn against me for the sins I've committed, or turn against you for the sins you've committed, and apply his justice swiftly and quickly if he were to turn on us in short lapses of our judgment or 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 maybe a short season of self-centeredness or maybe even weeks of rebellion against him and enacted his justice the way that it should be applied none of us would be here but instead he's patient I'm so thankful that God is patient with me. (laughs) I hope you recognize his exceeding patience with you. The patience of a father who waits patiently for his wayward son to come home. (laughs) The patience of a mother to endure a temper tantrum of her daughter because she sees the potential and the life that lies before the little child. The patience of a shepherd that not only waits for the wayward sheep to return to the flock, but actually goes and pursues the little sheep and brings him back into the flock. That is the patience of God. And we're encouraged by this. And we're grateful for it. And we should be. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, we see this, this tension point, this conversation of patience, but also warning. Because we're warned in that God will not be mocked by people who call themselves his own and then live oppositely. We see in Habakkuk 1 exceeding patience with the people of Judah. But that patience eventually results in judgment because of their continued rebellion. And in fact... It is in this dynamic that we see God's work applied evenly in the Old Testament and in the New. 
in his work with his people in the Old Testament and his people under the new covenant in the gospel. And this is applied then to us. And to see that, we see Paul's words in Acts chapter 13. Go there with me into the New Testament for a moment. Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is standing before the synagogue and he is encouraging the brothers and sisters there in who the Lord Jesus is. That he's the Messiah. The the one that the Jews just killed was the plan of God for their salvation. And so they should trust him because he was risen from the dead. And in that exhortation, he actually quotes to them a verse from Habakkuk chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is what he says in the synagogue. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. This is Habakkuk 1.5. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your day, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. And so in one instance... You will see wonder and be astonished because you will not believe the work God is doing. He takes an unlikely source and he uses it for his purpose. He raises up the enemy nation and he will judge Israel for their sins and destroy Jerusalem. We wouldn't be able to tell you. You wouldn't be able to believe it even if we told you. And in another instance, you will see wonder and be astonished because you will not Believe the work that God is doing. He takes the unlikely source and he uses it for his purpose. As God raises up his own son, Jesus, to take on the sins of the world, he's crucified on the cross, he raises again from the dead, and this is the plan of God before your very midst. You wouldn't even believe it if we told you in advance, but it's happened. It's come to pass. And so take heed, lest you too be like the unbelieving ones in Israel who were destroyed. Here's the point. God's justice is always applied in the perfect time, in the perfect way. The God who sees perfectly and knows perfectly enacts justice that is timed perfectly. And in the coming weeks, As we move through the book of Habakkuk, you'll learn more about God's justice and how it's applied. And you'll learn more about how we, as followers of Jesus, respond when things don't look the way that we want them to look. You know, my children are at an age where they like to put together puzzles. They're not very good at them. But they struggle to place the pieces in just the right position But as they progress from one piece to two pieces and two pieces to three pieces, you can see the sense of anticipation starting to build. And it's fun to watch. At first, they don't recognize the image that's being created, even though the box is sitting right there. They're not paying attention to the box. They're just trying to figure out which one is actually the edge piece (laughs) or which little knob fits into which little hole. 
But as the pieces come together and more pieces are laid down on the table, they're able to see how they fit. And the excitement builds all the more as they begin to see the rough image of the pony (laughs) or the head of the lion or the little puppy dog. As they see the picture more clearly, the pieces fall into place more easily. I think there's a truth about life in there. And it's this. When it comes to our circumstances of life, we usually only get one piece of the puzzle. (laughs) Or maybe two. Or maybe three. And in God's sovereignty... And in God's timing, many of the things that happen to you and many of the things that happen to me make us to shake our heads and we don't understand. We say, I don't get it and I don't understand my life and I certainly don't understand what God is doing. But that draws us back to the only one who does. The God who sees perfectly. And knows perfectly. Enacts justice that is timed perfectly. And so the call for us then is to trust him. Let us pray and ask that we would indeed trust him all the more. Father, we here today know what it's like to be in situations that are difficult. And we know what it's like to receive answers that we don't desire And yet, Father, we know that you are consistent in your application of justice. And we know that you see and know and understand pieces to this puzzle of our existence that we cannot comprehend. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to trust you all the more. That you would give generously to us where we lack. That we would be found faithful even in the midst of difficulty. And that you would be glorified as the great God and Father in all of your perfect ways, even when we don't feel them. We pray this for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen.